Hi, I'm Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work podcast. Let me start out by saying I am so sorry it's been over a week since our last podcast. Since the pandemic began, I've kind of kept a going at about three podcasts a week, and but really as that's come to an end, I've been really busy working to help organizations in their efforts to be world-class. I do a lot of consulting around the customer experience, around leadership and employee engagement, and it's just been a busy week. So my apologies to you for that, but that really gives me an opportunity to share a client experience I had while at Walt Disney World this last week. In this Disney at Work podcast, where we share lessons from the happiest and most magical places on earth, we're going to talk today about customer expectations, exceeding them, and building positive perceptions from the most negative expectations. We're going to do this in the setting of Topolino's Terrace, found on the top of Disney's new Riviera Resort. It's a perfect setting to not only discuss expectations, as I did with my clients, but to consider it in the context of Disney's Vacation Club and how it is a contrast to traditional timeshare industry approaches. Join us. Oh yes, it'll include a food and beverage review, but it will be in the context of the very concepts that we'll be talking about here in this podcast. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, whenever you're on iTunes, make sure if you get a chance, give us a positive rating if you would to help the, uh, well, you know, the littlest podcast that could be its very, very best and to get the word out there. Again, thank you for joining us. Let's talk Topolinos and Disney's Riviera Resort. So this is actually a Disney at Work podcast, but there is actually a dinner review of Topolinos and what we experienced there. So hang with me. If you're looking for the dinner review, it's in here, but it has some important implications, not just to Topolinos itself, but to anybody's industry and how customers come with expectations of their experience uh, to a particular uh, business or organization. When I have the opportunity to meet with clients, I talk about something called the customer compass and a compass you know has four chief points northeast south and west in our uh, understanding the customer and where the customer is coming from we talk about something called needs again n for needs e for expectations s for styles and w for walk as in walking in the shoes of your customer this particular situation that i'm talking about is and the story I want to share focuses around expectations, expectations that customers have of your organization. Some of those expectations are often preset because they're expectations of the industry. And the great example I give of that is when you think of buying a used car and going to a used car lot to buy that car, what comes to your mind? Typically, you have very negative expectations. You think of these 
bunch of guys that are going to try to sell you a car and help you walk away with the car that day. And they, uh, the lot isn't uh, well lit and the cars are probably lemons and you end up having to dicker over the price and all that is involved. And, and so you have these perceptions of, of a terrible uh, experience with a used car. Now, CarMax came along. I don't know if you've ever purchased a car from CarMax. I've actually purchased six or seven vehicles over the last, um, well, does, uh, two and a half dozen years at CarMax. And CarMax stands out from the typical expectations of buying a used car. CarMax considered all the negative stereotypes associated with its industry and then did the opposite leveraging them to its advantage. Its showrooms are clean, bright, and spacious. It has an enormous selection of vehicles, which go through a 100-point inspection process to ensure that they aren't lemons. And its efforts to reverse expectations based on stereotypes also extends to its sales staff. They don't haggle over price with you. In fact, the final price is clearly displayed on each car, and you can either accept it or not. Overall, the CarMax buying process is designed to be hassle-free, supportive, and simple. The staff is largely there to provide information about each car and assist you with test drives. CarMax doesn't even refer to itself as a used car dealership, preferring the term previously owned vehicles. So for every negative concept or idea or issue evoked by the thought of used car sales, CarMax aims to create a completely positive alternative. Now, I know this is not, I know you're looking for a food review on Topolinos, um, but hang with me here because what I'm trying to say is that so much of what fuels a customer's experience is their own expectations of what they're going to experience when they get there. So, let me begin by saying I had uh, a team of three professionals come out from Southern California and they were attending a conference and they wanted to meet with me and talk about doing some business together. Um, it's part of what's been occupying my time or lots of client uh, issues in the last week or two. And so my apologies again for not um, having done much in terms of podcasts, but I wanted to take them out to dinner and have a really positive experience. And I found a reservation at the Wave and a couple other places, but I kept hanging in there and checking it four or five times a day. And then about a day or two before uh, they were coming, I managed to get a reservation at Topolino's. Now, to be honest, I hadn't been to Topolino's prior, but I had heard some pretty raving reviews of Topolino's um, from the view to the, the dining room itself, to the staff, to the food. Um, if I had heard any negative thing, it might've been that the price seemed a little on the high side. But other than that, by and large, I've heard some really positive things about Topolinos. I thought, okay, this would be perfect. They're not gonna have time to visit Walt Disney World. Some had never been to Walt, one of them at least, had never been to Walt Disney World. I thought this would be a really nice way to give them a, a very good um, experience and let them, um, and then, you know, talk about business while we were there. So 
I invited them there. We met at uh, the entrance to Disney's Riviera Resort. Uh, the reservation, I mean, our table was ready when we got up to the top um, and we were seated um, and we went through the entire dining experience, which was the better part of about two hours um, that evening. And I will tell you that the three people that I was with, um, some of whom had some pretty major dietary issues, which was one of the things they loved about the restaurant, is that they were very uh, sensitive to allergies and gluten-free and all those kinds of things. Very impressed by that. I, I think they had a wow experience that evening. I think they had an impressive experience. I think they were blown away. Now, one of them is a colleague of mine who uh, loves the steakhouse restaurant at the Disneyland Hotel, and she's a big Disney fan, but she came across as really being impressed by this experience um, at Walt Disney World, and we just had a very enjoyable experience together. Now, at the as we are kind of concluding the evening, and by the way, I'll come back to a review of the restaurant. I'm not trying to hold you, but uh, give me a chance to kind of um, really review my experience there, at least from my eyes. But as we are coming to the close of our experience there, I turned to um, one of the individuals and I said, when you think of timeshares, what comes to mind? And the gentleman kind of laughed and he said, he said, yeah, I was dragged with my parents one time to one of these share timeshare presentations that provided me, you know, free park theme park tickets and a small uh, TV. And uh, my parents ended up buying a place that was on the Florida um, East Coast. And it was kind of like in the middle of nowhere and we started going there and it was like, why are we having a vacation here? And why would we want to keep coming back for years to come? He said that it was a disaster. We, we should never have bought uh, a timeshare. And, uh, and so in essence, his view of timeshares was very negative. It was at that moment I said, you need to know that right now you are sitting on top of a timeshare. Except it doesn't look like a timeshare. It doesn't feel like a timeshare. It feels like a fine dining experience in a beautiful resort hotel in the heart of Walt Disney World. Now, and I went on to talk about how Disney's approach to time to timeshare is very different. The Disney Vacation Club understood the negative perceptions and expectations customers would have of timeshare and viewed them as an opportunity back in the 90s to change an entire industry. In fact, I can tell you I was there at Disney and let me tell you, my fellow cast members, colleagues, were blown away with the announcement Disney was going into the timeshare business because it was, it couldn't have been a more opposite view to the kind of experience one would expect staying at a Walt Disney World resort. However, Disney's choice to enter the timeshare industry did not come quickly or easily. 
The reputation of the timeshare industry closely mirrored that, again, of used car sales that I talked about a minute ago. So rather than using, quote, timeshare, which was permanently tainted, Disney created the term vacation ownership to take the focus away from the real estate product and place it on the customer's vacation experience. The real reason most families choose to invest in a timeshare. The ownership concept means one of the essential customer needs. Remember I talked about um, the customer compass and the N for North stands for needs. And one of those, there's five needs in there. And one of those needs is the need to feel stable and in control. The difference between the typical timeshare approach to business and results and the Disney approach are as follows. And I'm going to include this, uh, it'll be a table. Um, and this is this has changed a little bit over the years um, from what it began, but in, in its initial um, period, this is, this is how the two compared when Disney created its own vacation club approach. First, in typical timeshare industry, it's a real estate investment. You are buying a piece of property. Disney changed that. They were the first to go to the concept of a points investment where you buy access to a wide range of properties which is huge because sometimes you want to bring the whole family and sometimes you just need two. So you're not stuck with the same property every time. There is flexibility in your choices of where to stay. And by the way, in terms of where to stay, you don't necessarily have to stay at that resort. There are other resorts you could choose to stay from. You do have your home resort, but there are other possibilities of where you may stay. Now in the timeshare business, you were limited to a particular week and again, a location um, and either you used it during that week or you lost it. At Disney, again, they completely changed that. They created flexibility about the date, the location, and the accommodations themselves. In timeshare industry, the focus was on the transaction. The transaction is we're going to sell to the customer. At Disney Vacation Club, and this may seem nuanced, but help please understand the focus is not on the transaction, it is on the interaction. Helping the customer come to a place where they feel comfortable buying. In Timeshare, there were bonuses. Usually, bonuses are usually given on the sales and the margins. But actually, initially, and I don't know how it's continued today, but my understanding is that bonuses are given to cast members who are part of the vacation club that's based on satisfaction and sales. So how well they rate their experience with you is a big part of whether you get bonus. In the timeshare industry, customers were usually given three days, I think by law, before the contract becomes binding, 10% opt-out. At Disney, at least initially, the customers were given 10 days before the contract becomes binding. And yet, Instead of 10% opting out with only three days, Disney actually had 1% opting out, even though they gave them 10 days instead of three. That's an interesting notion. They gave you more time to back out of the deal and yet, and yet far fewer ended up backing out. Um, 
In the timeshare industry, a salesperson's role ends with the sale. In Vacation Club, the idea is that the salesperson continues to answer questions and support the customer even after the sale. Um, in timeshare, there's no interaction between sales and operations or marketing. At the Disney Vacation Club, it was really important that weekly meetings and newsletters and, and communications were happening between sales, operations, and marketing. Now, here's the really interesting part. Given all that I just described for Timeshare and for the Disney Vacation Club, 5% of those people who bought a Timeshare end up being repeat purchasers. In other words, their experience was so good that they bought more points. At Disney Vacation Club, more than 65% have become repeat visitors over the years. That's a stunning number. And it speaks to the quality of the experience. By the way, I can tell you, I remember the original Vacation Club um, open house uh, facility that they had at Old Key West. It was this magnificent presentation. You walk through this giant book with pixie dust flowing everywhere. Um, for many years, uh, they, and I don't know if they still do this, for many years they would have this ice cream uh, social place and, and they would have options for where the kids could go and play while the adults were kind of thinking this over. Um, again, the ice cream as kind of a treat at the end. There was just so many cool things. Now, they actually pulled down on the amount of all those things over the years. Well, they moved to Sarasota and that they took over some of the space from the Disney Institute that allowed them space and so forth. But then they've also had facilities and open house uh, experiences at places like the boardwalk and so forth. Anyway, long and short is Disney has been a master at creating an incredible purchase experience. And, and the evidence, the fruits of that is that more than 65% are repeat purchasers. And then, in addition to that, with timeshare, 15% of those who bought in the timeshare industry usually refer people to their particular timeshare. And yet, at Disney Vacation Club, more than 80% have been referrals. And I, again, there's some challenges that DVC has gone back and forth and COVID didn't make it any easier. And there are problems with DVC that doesn't make it perfect. But by and large, it's got a history over the last, um, well, nearly 25 years, a little more than that, where they have really succeeded in the marketplace. Not always. Some things they kind of learned along the way. Um, the Vero Beach and Hilton Head properties never really succeeded. Things in the park succeed better. Alani is an amazing, um, amazing property. If you've never visited Alani, you have got to go to Alani. Um, and yet it struggles for having that, um, uh, that for having filled um, their vacation club um, investment. Uh, finding enough investors in their vacation club. But but by and large, Disney has really, they redefined this business. And by the way, Marianne and others have followed through and, and created point type um, 
investments and, and followed a lot of the things that Disney originally did. So they have been pretty brilliant in all of this. Now, uh, let me go back to dinner because I'm sitting here with this individual who I had just asked to describe um, timeshare. He describes it in a terrible, um, ugly way. And I tell him that, hey, this is a timeshare, only it's not. It's Disney Vacation Club. And by the way, they have a restaurant at that timeshare, only it's not just a restaurant, it's it's Topolinos. And I use that because in the particular industry they are at, they have challenges sometimes with how customers perceive the services, the healthcare services that they provide. Sometimes it's well-received, sometimes it's borderlines um, being uh, um, not, um, not well-received. So, so this was a great window to talk about how we would take their work moving forward because the intent is to consult with them moving forward and take it and change everything that would might be negative about their particular industry or products or services and make it all positive. Make it so that it really reinforces um, a great experience and that they become the standard in their particular field of healthcare. So that was a great conversation we managed to have uh, in our time together with them. Now, I want to just say, because I remember, I'm going to talk about Topolinos. By the way, we ended the evening. They had a great time. We said goodbye. We went downstairs, bid adieu. We'll continue working with them. But I want to talk to you about my experience at Topolinos. And before I do that, I want to talk to you about Panda Express. Now, most of you know about Panda Express. It provides, it's uh, largely in the United States, and it provides um, probably the most popular um, Chinese fast food that exists out there. And um, we had, I had a set of clients one time from Singapore. Now, if you know anything about Singapore, I know this seems like a long way to the Topolino review, but hang in there with me. If you've been to Singapore, you know it's a small island nation state. And so there's only so much to do. And they are foodies out there in Singapore. They love their cuisine. And my goodness, they have amazing cuisine out there. On one occasion, we took um, about 27, 28 uh, liters in the food and beverage industry from Singapore. And we brought them to the Los Angeles area where we did an entire week of benchmarking culinary experiences, food and beverage operations, and then other organizations, including Disney, which by the way, was the biggest highlight of their week. They kind of were, are you sure we can go to Disneyland and all that? But let me tell you, that ended up being the best experience. Um, they had different expectations of what that would be, but when they finally got there, they had an amazing experience. At any rate, one day, we took them to visit the corporate headquarters of Panda Express, which is right there in the Los Angeles area. And Panda Express could not have been kinder to have hosted us. We had a chance to tour their corporate facilities, meet with managers, see their show kitchens, 
really talk to them about their business. And in fact, the original owners, a couple who established Panda Express many years ago, still working in their older years in their office right there, they had a chance to meet them, lovely people. We, we could not have had um, a more informative experience visiting Panda Express. Panda Express has done some tremendous things to build a really strong, um, unique culture in the fast food industry, which, you know, is easily tirated. But they do some pretty amazing things, and it was a very impressive experience to the food and beverage professionals that, that uh, came and visited from Singapore. At the end of our time with them, we had uh, we had been extended an invitation from Panda Express to enjoy lunch on them, no less. They had a Panda Express uh, location adjacent to their corporate headquarters. So we walked over there and experienced Panda Express, which none of our folks had ever been because it's a more of a US operation. It's not in Asia. And, um, and so we enjoyed lunch at Panda Express. Again, very generous of that organization. And then we got on the motor coach to head out to our next location. And I asked them, how was your experience at Panda Express? And they were like, ah, that was awful. I couldn't believe how bad that Chinese food was. That was terrible. How could they, how could they be such an amazing organization and serve Chinese food like that? That is just, that is, no one would eat that in Singapore. There is no way you could serve that in Singapore. That is the worst Chinese food I've ever eaten. It's not even Chinese food. And they went on and on and on. And I just let them talk for a few minutes to kind of feel heard and understood one of those needs from the compass of the customer. So I listened to them until they felt heard and understood. And then I posed this question. Who is Panda Express's customer? And they stopped for a moment and thought about it and then said, well, people in the United States. And then they went on and said, and people in the United States have no good taste for Chinese food. And I said, maybe, that may be the case. Maybe we don't get Chinese food the way you get Chinese food, but that doesn't change the fact. The Panda Express is not building a culinary experience for Singaporean residents who really love Asian cuisine. They are serving their customer. They are exceeding the expectations of their customers, not yours and certainly not you. Their customers are here in the United States. Now that was a real aha moment for them. And I think they finally got to the fact that you don't, you don't cook for yourself, you cook it for your customer. And that, uh, I think that was one of the big ahas of that day. Now, now for the review on Topolinos. I told you that my three colleagues had an amazing experience. So what was it like for myself? Topolino's Terrace, Flavors of the Riviera, offers French and Italian cuisine along with sweeping rooftop views. 
That's what they're promising you as an experience. So I'm going to get the best in French and in Italian cuisine, and I'm going to have some amazing views as part of that experience. We had an evening reservation around 7.30, which going into the evening would have been perfect time for that sunset to come in. In truth, it was a rainy, even lightning-filled day, and so the view was not um, was obscured by by a lot of gray shadows. Let me put it that way. But let me back up because when I review a restaurant, I usually review it in terms of four things: the people, the place, the process and the product, four Ps that deliver on that promise, and the product being the food and beverage. The people, let me just say, we had exemplary uh, hosts and hostesses and servers. Our server was originally from the Marrakesh restaurant in uh, in uh, Morocco at Epcot. I think he had about 25 years under his belt. Could not have been more professional. Could not have been a better representative of a fine dining experience at Disney. He delivered on every level and was so impressive. That's the people. Let's get to place the place sweeping rooftop views on top of the riviera hotel i think the riviera hotel though it has a more intimate lobby perhaps more representative of what you'd probably find in a real hotel on the riviera um it's a beautiful hotel i i think it's a it's an astonishingly beautiful hotel and you know, they kind of put it and juxtapositioned it not too far away across the street from Epcot. In fact, when you're standing in Canada or UK, you can see the Riviera Hotel roof from the distance. Oh, well, I can put up with that if I know I'm going to get an amazing view. I cannot believe the thinking that went in to that view. Maybe I'm just missing magical insights from that architect, but they turned that restaurant in the wrong direction. You could bear it. Now, mind you, there is a portion of the restaurant that I didn't see, and that is they have an outdoor patio toward the southwest side of the restaurant. I suppose if you went out to that patio and leaned forward, you'd seen most of Epcot. But from where we were inside, and by the way, that patio was closed due to rain. I get that. But from where we stood, the best you could see was the top of the American Adventure. You could not see any other portion of Epcot unless you went to the restroom, at which point you could find a small window that looked toward Epcot. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, of all the corners you put this restaurant, why did you put it on this corner? Why did I kind of understand why you put on this corner? Because your other food and beverage, even though they're floors down below you, they are closest to your docking bays, which are on the outside of the restaurant on the east side. And you probably want to have the ability to get food and beverage in 
the right way. And it would have been ugly to have had those docking bays on the west side toward the Skyliner. That may have been something of the driver. But all that said and done, the view was not impressive. Now, mind you, it was a stormy day. But even then, the things we we're looking at were at a fairly good distance. The only thing that really would have been close was Zepcot, and you were pretty well obscured from being able to see Epcot. And so it was a head scratcher as to why they turned the windows of that restaurant in the direction they turned them in. I thought that was that that was a miss on my part. And when I think of the, the equivalent, which is the, you know, um, California Grill on top of the Contemporary Resort, I know, again, it was raining, but gosh, it just seemed kind of disappointing that they had positioned it the way it did. You could still see, I mean, I pointed way out to the mountain of Expedition Everest. You could see kind of in the distance and the studios weren't too far badly out there. And that was good to see that, but, but still you missed most of Epcot. That to me, now the rest of the setting, let's talk about the interior of the setting. The interior design of the setting was opulent, was beautiful, and took me back to the 1970s. What is it about architecture that you guys feel you have got to go back to the 70s and 80s? I can go watch Loki if I want to go see that kind of view. But this was really, in terms of color scheme, in terms of furnishing choices, in terms of chandeliers and all of that, you just took me back to the 1970s. And I don't mind the 1970s, but that's not what this restaurant was supposed to be. It was supposed to be something reminiscent of the Riviera. So why didn't you go back more old school on the design of the interior? Not to say it wasn't beautiful, but it was... It was a fairly dark interior, and honestly, with the rainstorms outside, it just did not. It was kind of drab where we were dining. Mind you, I have to excuse the fact that there was a storm outside. But notwithstanding, it just it just wasn't carrying it for me. Um, tables were further parted from each other, probably because of the COVID situation. So I felt um, like we were kind of thrown in corners. But, you know, that was good for health's sake. So I get that aspect of it. Um, the table was well set. No problem there. Let's talk about the processes. The processes make it easier for you to do business with people. And that could involve the reservation. It could involve the billing. Honestly, there isn't any much to say on this. It all worked out pretty good. And I was really happy that within 48 hours of the evening, I could actually manage somehow to luck onto a reservation. Um, although, now that, and, and I'll be honest, because I wanted to go see Topolino's, if I had had a reservation at that moment at Topolino's in California Grill, I would have chosen Topolino's because I would have wanted to see it. In hindsight, oh, I wish I had had a California Grill. And I'm not California Grill's biggest fan. But they have things so much more beautifully laid out and so much more uh, well-designed there at California Grill that this was kind of like, it was just a head-scratcher for me. Um, 
Now we get to the product. So let me just say this about the menu and and um, uh, my my companion next to me had the and I apologize I don't always get names right Nochi the duck confit with the pesto bianco garden kale pine nuts uh, another one had the romaine ensalada with ricotta and watercress and Italian olive oil. One had the beets, barajul, is that how you pronounce it? With white beans, watercress, garden radish, lemon meringue. Um, and I actually ordered um, a um, appetizer that involved, um, that really isn't even on the formal menu, but it basically was a white asparagus with um, a hen's egg and this kind of bacon. Actually, I thought it was quite different and quite tasty. Um, and my companions loved their dishes. They absolutely loved their dishes. Then for dinner, one chose the scallops. They loved the scallops. One chose the filet mignon, loved the filet mignon. I believe one ordered the bean um, casserole. Um, with mushrooms, root vegetables, and plant-based sausage. I believe that's what she, that one one of our companions ordered. No, 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 no. She ordered she ordered a fish dish. That's right. Which is it? Uh, it was the classic soul. Um, she ordered the classic soul. Loved that and well presented. Really a beautifully presented dish. I had what was the rigatoni and which is a braised chicken, sugo, broccolini, rapini, wild mushrooms, parmigiano, reggiano. Hey, you get me with mushrooms. You get me with um, pasta. I, I, how can we go wrong? And yet, I got to tell you, it was not a great dish. It was way over salty. If I didn't have my dinner companions, I probably would have turned it back to the kitchen. But I didn't want to put focus on my dish. I wanted to put my focus on my dining companions. I took half of it home uh, with me and I tried it. I tried to bite the next day. Actually, I gave it to my wife, but I still tried another bite the next day. It still tasted salty, over salted. It was just not impressive. And I have had, I've heard other reviews go to town on that rigatoni as if it was the best dish ever created, particularly in pasta on Walt Disney World property ever. And I'm sitting here going, really? This is this is that good? It was, for me, disappointing. I will say we were filled enough where there was bread on the table, nothing eventful about that. We were filled enough that we did not go with the um, with any dessert choices. And my bill came out, and my, my companions had beverages, but they did not um, drink None of them drank any um, alcoholic beverages. Uh, we came out to about $300, even, right even. For, for four people dining, I didn't think that the tangible price was bad. So I talk about the four Ps of people, place, process, and product, and that it needs to surpass the promise. And you remember the promise was... Flavors of the Riviera, offering French and Italian cuisine, along with sweeping rooftop views. It did not live to that promise. More Now, was it 
was it worth the price? I didn't think it was too expensive compared to other reviews I had had or heard about it being too expensive. I thought it was pretty much in keeping, in fact, even maybe a dollar or two less than other places around property like the California Grill. In fact, probably more like the Wave in price or um, perhaps more like in keeping with Citricos over at Grand Floridian. But um, so I wasn't bothered by the price per se, although the price is not just the tangible price, i.e. the bill, there's an intangible price. And the intangible price is we could have dined somewhere else. Um, at least my friends were enjoyed the evening. I was not impressed by the facility, but it gave me a chance to talk that metaphor, which I still agree to. Riviera's resort, along with Topolino's, is so far beyond anything you're going to see in a timeshare in that in this town. And so they have truly transcended the timeshare paradigm. I think about fine dining. Nobody goes to fine dining in a timeshare establishment. And there are big timeshares here in Orlando. Nobody would go to a fine dining. There is no fine dining, I don't think, that I can think of outside Disney. And so, but here's, here's the one point I want to bring to the table. I'm someone who has been around Walt Disney World for, well, since we moved here nearly 30 years ago, I worked for Walt Disney World. I ate some of the finest cuisine at Disney. I dined at, not in Cinderella's Castle, I dined before guests arrived in the courtyard or in the entryway of Cinderella Castle before guests arrived. I have dined in some unique things. There are only about four or five restaurants I have not been to. Um, the luau, I don't know how I've missed the luau all these years. That's a miss on my part. But the others I would say I've not been to. I've not been to um, um, those restaurants largely because the focus is more on alcohol. I don't drink and I don't like the fact that I'm paying such a premium for alcohol, which is often included in those um, kind of meals. And so so I'm just kind of of the opinion that I don't know that I want to pay a premium um, for dining at um, at someplace such as the Grand Floridian Resort where I'm going to be, um, you know, eating at... Uh, um, Victorian Alberts and paying a premium for that when I'm having to pay for alcohol. So I'm a little biased in that regard. But the other thing that brings me bias is I have eaten pretty much all over property and many times elsewhere. I will tell you, I've had better meals at the Brown Derby. I've had better meals at, um, at um, the C's restaurant. Why am I dr driving... Um, going crazy the coral reef of course the coral reef i've had better dining than i have had at topolinos so for me i was disappointed but do you remember my comments about the singaporean uh food and beverage 
management that came to California and went to um, that went to uh, Panda Express. I am probably a little bit like those individuals. Not only have I done so much dining at Disney, I've also done in my business travels a lot of fine dining, including years in New York City at some of the best restaurants and in DC and in Los Angeles. I've done a lot of fine dining. And so maybe I'm not their customer in the same way that Singaporean um, culinary experts are not Panda Express's customers. So take this review for what it is um, and know that even though I was a little disappointed by the experience and have no interest in hurrying back there, those who were with me loved it and had a great experience, and maybe you would too. But more importantly, I want to come back to the message of this, because this is a Disney at Work podcast, and that means that this is really about, well, it's really about what are the applications back to your business. And let me just say, I think there are three key messages. First, you need to identify the customer and their expectations. Not yours, not somebody else's, but your customer's expectations. You need to know those expectations and you need to know how to deliver and exceed those expectations. Secondly, those things you do really well, you make sure you do them to the best of your ability. Exceed expectations of what those customers are expecting of you. And then third, going back to our example with Timeshare and with and with CarMax and used car purchases, take the negative expectations and turn them into positive ones. Whatever the expectations people may have of your business or even of your industry, take what's negative and make it positive then build on the positive things that you have. By the way, lest you think I'm some kind of hoity-toity guy with cuisine, I'm not. In fact, if you paid attention to our podcast, I've actually mentioned the restaurant down below Primo Piatto, which is basically their counter service restaurant. I think it's probably one of Disney's best quick service restaurants that are on property. I love the cuisine. They have these, uh, oh, lem blueberry lemon pancakes and cinnamon crumble French toast bread pudding and a primo piatto breakfast with uh, scrambled eggs and mascarpone polenta and a sweet brioche roll, bacon, Italian sauce. It is really one of the best places to go for, oh, by the way, that's the breakfast menu. And then you get to the um, evening menu. One of the things uh, I realized, I asked what the soup of the day was at Topolino's and they mentioned it was um, a tomato soup. And I thought, well, that sounds like the tomato soup downstairs. And I thought, well, it's a really good tomato soup. I love the tomato soup downstairs, but I'm thinking I'm upstairs. I shouldn't be paying three times the price for tomato soup upstairs when it's the same soup as being served downstairs. But they have other things that they serve there uh, for lunch and dinner um, that you might say, I think it's actually one of the best places to go. And in fact, I've recommended uh, 
um, that you grab the Skyliner from Epcot or even better yet, Disney's Hollywood Studios because a lot of great counter service choices aren't available at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In my opinion, this is a great place to go is to go grab a bite to eat over over there. And it's just a counter service restaurant. It's a quick serve. So again, you don't have to be the fanciest restaurant to exceed expectations. You just have to be really good. And I should say the menu is really good. Now they had problems since the beginning with their processes of ordering and turning it out to you and so forth. I don't know if that's been straightened out since uh, the pandemic has come to an end. Um, but the setting is very lovely. The people are really good. I would highly recommend that place uh, to, as a place to go. Again, the idea is you exceed the expectations of your customers by playing on what you do really well and turning the negatives into positives. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this Disney at Work podcast. In fact, we want to invite you. We want to invite you to be our guest for an upcoming set of programs in our Disney Best Practices Global Tour. It's a place where you can learn more about how Disney approaches customer service, leadership, employee engagement, and so many other things. We are planning on programs this year, November, at the Walt Disney World Resort. That'll be a four-day program and a three-day program at the Disneyland Resort in December of 2021. Go to DisneyAtWork.com, click on the link for Disney Best Practices Global Tour, and check it out. Call us, let us know your questions, get signed up, and be our guest for these upcoming programs. Again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.